by name, for sharing with us your name, that we get to wear the name Christian. Admittedly, we don't always do justice to that name. So we come in contact with you again today. Now, as we leave this table in this time, may we be a better reflection of our Savior, in whose name we are saved, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, it's here. One of my favorite times of the year. Thanksgiving. No secret to you. I love this holiday. It's one of my personal favorites. Not just for the football. The Colts aren't even playing this year. It, it has to do with the family time and the food. And, and this year is a new one for me because we're not, we're not, I think I'm not making anything. Maybe a ham. I'm not sure. Like, I'm going to go and just receive the blessing from the rest of my family. Kind of nice. The kids are taking care of that this year. Looking forward to that. It'll be good to spend some time with family. I bet you're looking forward to that as well. And if, if not, well, I'm not sure what we can do. You know, we can put extra space somewhere. So let me know if that's not something that you enjoy. Family matters. And I really think that this week is a powerful week for all of us because it's a chance for us to engage in something called uh, uh, familial or, or relational evangelism. It's how we share our faith with our family. And when we think about purposes of the church, we've talked about already the importance of worship and of service. But today we talk about the importance of evangelism or faith sharing. But it seems to me that one of the best ways for us to share our faith is in this room and in this conversation with our family. There's a passage that Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, where he's talking to Timothy, and he says something about family that's powerful here. Paul writes, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded also in you. Now, I have to tell you that I received a message from my mother because I made a mistake in the sermon last week. I misspoke, and my mom corrected me. Moms are good at that. It was actually in a conversation with my mother, not my grandmother, that I learned Grandma believed she was still here on earth so she could pray for our family. I said that wrong, and I thank my mom for correcting me. Moms are good about doing that. I have to imagine that Timothy had been corrected more than once along the way by his mother or his grandmother. A legacy of faith is important. I want you to think about this. In those conversations you have, there's a passage that says, let your conversations be seasoned with salt. So when you talk with Uncle Fred or Aunt Susie or your cousin Ben or whoever you're around at the Thanksgiving table, in all the other conversations you have, make sure that somewhere in there, a conversation about faith or God or the church comes into that in some way, in a natural way. It's an important thing for us to share. In fact, you never know what will come of a conversation that you have with someone. You never know how it'll play out. When we think about evangelism, sometimes we think of like the street preacher. You know, I used to have a really negative feeling about street preachers. When I was in college, I'd seen a few. They usually stand on a college campus on a corner telling all the college students that they're going to hell. A lot of you are nodding your head. You've heard that. You've seen that. And I used to think, man, that's just the wrong way. No relationship. Nothing about that. And I, I, I had a really bad feeling or tendency towards street preachers. And then I realized something. The very first sermon after Pentecost was preached on the street by Peter. 
And the end of Peter's message, right, that he, 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 he uh, says to them, right, this very missional sermon, he says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Repent. That's his message in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And so uh, Peter was very missional. It's an important thing, evangelism, we share. And how we share matters. And I suppose there is a place for the combative, missional kind of evangelism. I tend to think that the relational kind is a better way of doing it. It makes more of a difference, has more of an impact. But it's slower, isn't it? Relational evangelism takes longer. We talk to someone about God or faith or something God's done in life, and we don't know if there's any impact or not. We may not see the impact for days or weeks or months or even years. I was reminded of a story in the spring of 1992 the fourth grade students in Portland, Maine, carried out a very novel experiment. Their teacher, Pamela Truo, was teaching the kids about the ocean, specifically about the Gulf Stream currents that flow along the east coast of the United States, and then turn toward Europe. According to Reuters newspaper, she had the kids put messages with their addresses and contact information in empty wine bottles. And then they had a fisherman take them 20, take 21 bottles away from the shore where they could be in the current, and he tossed them overboard. They had hoped that some of the bottles might actually drift all the way to Europe. Three months later, however, only two bottles had washed up, and they were both in Canada. The class heard nothing else and assumed that the rest of the bottles were simply lost at sea. Two years passed, and then one day, one of the students, Jeff Height, received a surprise letter from a girl in Pinochet, France. She found one of their bottles while walking with her father on the beach. Now, I think our efforts at evangelism are often like tossing a bottle with a message into the ocean. We share the gospel with others however we can, giving them a piece of literature or talking in a conversation or maybe a prayer with someone in need. We don't always see the response. We wonder if what we've said is forgotten or lost at sea. But I want you to understand something, because God is also at work. Many years later, we may also yet learn the Spirit of God, like that current, moved them where they needed to be. And we were one part of the push that got them where they needed to be in the Lord. God has a way of carrying out his message if we're faithful. So be faithful with your family. Be missional about how you live your life. Look for opportunities to share. You know, it's no secret, John Hunley's been my friend for a long, long time. He's not here, he's probably at next service. John's getting older, about 87 years old. But there's something that John has done the whole time I've known that has always impressed me. So frequently, we'll go to a Waffle House together. That's our favorite restaurant to go together at. We've done it. We'd be traveling up to see people at the hospital in Indianapolis and stop back at the Franklin Waffle House. Been there many times. Now that he's older and he lives by the one in Columbus on the south side, we visit there. But John has this really cool thing he does. Whenever the waitress will come to our table, he'll make a little small talk, and he'll always ask this question, so where do you go to church? That's an interesting question. He asked that over and over. And this is what's been mind-boggling to me is that, you know, when he asks the question, you might think someone would be offended, like it's none of your business, but that's never happened. They'll usually say, well, I go to this church or that church, or they'll say, you know, 
I am not going to church right now, but I've been thinking maybe I should. That's the most common answer he gets back. And then as that happens, that's like John's golden moment. He's like, well, hey, this is Marty Wright, the preacher at Ogleville. You should come with us over to Ogleville some Sunday. He's done that for years. It's, a, it's an interesting kind of mission that he has to make the most of every opportunity to make a difference. I want us to have that mindset for evangelism when we think about it. It doesn't have to be a scary thing where you memorize a script or you memorize a list of Bible verses and you say, hey, you need to do all these things and that you get someone to cross the line of faith the moment that you see them. I think that when we do that, we put more pressure on ourselves and don't have enough confidence in what God can do, that God works on people. What else can you do? If you open the door and someone is willing to listen, one of the best things that we can do in terms of evangelism and fulfilling this purpose that the church has, because we do have, Virgil was spot on, right? The Great Commission tells us that Jesus' mission statement was, go, make, uh, in the passage that we read in Matthew, he tells us, go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, uh, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. It's a commission. It's something, a commandment that Jesus wants us to do. So when you have the chance to fulfill that, and to do that, tell what you know personally. The Bible gives us some great examples of this. In John chapter 1, we see Andrew, who has come across Jesus. And when he comes across Jesus, uh, Andrew goes to his brother Simon and he says, Come, you, you got to come see, we have found the Christ. And then he brought him to Jesus. He wanted someone around him to know what he had found. And he told him what he knew. It was personal. He said, I want to tell you what I know personally. I've always loved the apostle John. John has a special relationship with Jesus. We, we see that across the whole New Testament. John, John is uh, a son of Zebedee. He is one of those people who was a fisherman. He's also a follower of John the Baptist. He, he comes to follow Jesus. And the Bible describes John as the disciple Jesus loved. John figures into all of the key stories, the ascension, the last supper. He's in all those key moments in the Bible. In fact, John, and perhaps John alone, is at the cross. When everyone else abandons Jesus, John is still there at the cross. And you remember that it's to John that Jesus looks at John and at his mother, and he says, Mother, here is your son, looking at John, and John, here is your mother. He passed on his responsibility for caring for his, his own mother to John, his friend. Why not to James or his siblings, Jude? Because at that point in time, we don't think they believed in Jesus. In fact, it's probably not until after the resurrection that they come to faith. John had been a close friend. John was one who ran to the empty tomb, along with Peter. And John is the one who has a lot to say about Jesus across his life. Now, the next part is, is from kind of post, 200 years after Jesus, an author uh, who was at that time studying, I suppose, what's been going on in Jesus' life, makes a claim that John, for his faithfulness and his, his relentless evangelism and his refusal to recant his faith, was, was they attempted to kill him by boiling him in oil. That's what church tradition says. It's not in the Bible. We can't prove that. But what the Bible does say is that he was then sent to Patmos, the island of Patmos, which was like a place where they would send people 
that were political prisoners away from the masses. They had no influence, like Alcatraz of their day, right? I don't know if they'd try to boil them a little or not. I think it's a fascinating idea that they couldn't kill them, so they put them away somewhere. I like that part of the story. But even when they put them away, because we have the whole book of Revelation, we know that John continued to tell people about Jesus. And he was sending letters to those churches of Asia Minor. John, in his own uh, letter in 1 John 1, talks about the way that he shared his faith. He describes it and he demonstrates it. Listen to what it says in 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Why does he do that? Because he cares. He says, I do this so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. He loved telling people about what Jesus had done for him. He loved it. It made him happy. It brought him joy. And I hope that that's what happens for you. I hope sharing your faith brings joy and, and not dread. There's one last thing that I'd, I'd say about evangelism as we think about it as a church and fulfilling our mission of evangelism. Not only is it something we should do in our families, and not only is it something that we should do missionally wherever we go, and not only is it about telling our own story, but it's about offering an invitation. Invitations make a difference. Now, I know you get lots of invitations to graduations, to, and, and those are for all kinds of things now, right? You don't just get high school graduations, you get graduations from preschool, and graduations from sixth grade. And, and the gra- I mean, there are graduations for everything, right? And you get letters and cards and social media posts of inviting you to things. And I know some of you, if you went to everything, you'd be broke just giving out cards to all the things you go to, right? So there's a neat opportunity there. We all have had invitations. It's a big part of our lives. Well, what is more important to invite someone to and, than to encounter Christ? It's the most important thing we could invite someone to be a part of. And interestingly enough, the Bible talks about invitational evangelism. And you know who does it? Jesus does it himself. And so do the angels. Listen to what Jesus does. In John chapter 1, verse 39, Jesus is talking to John, his friend John, the one who will go on and say so much about Jesus. And and as they're talking there in their conversation in John chapter 1, verse 39, uh, uh, he, he tells John, come and see. Come and see where I'm staying. Come and see what's going on. He gives him an invitation. John, come and see for yourself what I'm doing. Philip does the same thing. In John chapter 1, verse 46, Philip is talking to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's one who says, well, is there anything good from Nazareth? And, and he says, well, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Experience it yourself. Check it out. And even the angels use invitational evangelism. If evangelism means trying to draw someone towards Christ or accept Christ, listen to what the angels say. In Matthew 26, verse 6, it's the angels who say to them, come and see the place where he lay. Come and see. He's not here anymore. He's risen. Come and see. Let me encourage you, right? If you get to the point where someone wants to talk about faith and they're ready to take the next step, just Do what the angels and Jesus did. 
Invite them to come and see for themselves. To come with you to church, to come with you to a Bible study, to come with you to a prayer group. Come and see someplace where God is moving, where God is making a difference. It's powerful. We talk at Easter and at Friend Day about the importance of you inviting someone to church. And we say that for a reason. Invitational evangelism works. It has a lot to do with who's doing the asking. And there are people that, that you may not seem important to anyone else, but you know this. There's someone who thinks that you are the bee's knees. <laughs> You're the best thing out there. And when you invite them, it makes all the difference. I could go talk to them, and I'm a total stranger to them. But to you, they are, or, but you are to them really important to them. What you say matters. I don't want to pick on Natalie, but I know that your granddaughter will do whatever you say. Because she just, is, she, she just thinks grandma is the greatest thing ever. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. By the way, just as a side, since I work with our young people, sometimes with our youth program, let me just remind parents and grandparents of this, right? Our little kids can't drive to church. <laughs> They're only going to be a youth group if we take them. And if your sons or daughters aren't willing, then, then you be the one to say, you know, you know what, I'll take them to church. I'll make sure they get here. Because it's important. It's an invitational kind of thing. I don't know many kids. My granddaughter certainly hasn't turned me down one single time when I say, you know what, why don't I pick you up early, take you out for ice cream or McDonald's or whatever, and we'll go to youth group. She's never turned me down not one single time. I think you'd have a similar response with your children or grandchildren. Our opportunity. Share the truth in love with people you care about, with people that you know. And when God gives you the opportunity, even with strangers, knowing that each response may be different, but the Holy Spirit will work through them all. He wants to work through us. We have the opportunity to do what John did, what Peter did, what Paul did. We have the opportunity to have a small part in changing the world for Jesus. When he invites us to be evangelists, and he tells us one of our purposes is to be evangelistic, to tell people about Jesus, he is inviting us to be a part of his favorite thing. Because Jesus came to seek and to save what is lost. So let's join Jesus in the thing that he loves to do. And may we come to love it as well. It may be that you're here today and that you're a person who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You still haven't made that decision, life's most important decision. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants to help change your life. Not just in the, the forgiving you of your sin, which he'll do, but he wants to change your life and help you fulfill the purpose he created you for. Give more meaning, more depth, more character to your life. He really does that. He brings fulfillment. He brings hope. He brings joy in a new direction. Others who are here, you've accepted him. But if you're honest, your passion to share the good news has waned. It happens for a lot of people. We come to faith. People first experience Christ. They tell everybody about Jesus. But within a few years, they look back and they say, I haven't talked about Jesus to anybody for a long, long time. It happens. If that's your story, 
confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, I've kind of let you down. Forgive me for that, but help me to do better today, this week. Help me not to miss the opportunities that you're putting in front of me. Whatever decision you have to make, would you make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?